0: Our next film is on the BFI Greatest Films of All Time list, Sight and Sound, all that doodah. It's also been on the BBC's 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century. I don't remember what place it was on. Ah, yes, it's 23 on that list.
1: Wow. Of the 21st Century, yeah,
0: Which is interesting because there are only like four or five Films on the BFI list from the 21st century, and Cachet is one of them. By extension, you could say that the BFI is endorsing this as one of the top five films of the 21st century. Yeah. But that was back in 2012. Many things change. Anyway, Cachet, which means hidden, is a film by the director Michael Haneke, who we talked about before in our Code Unknown review. He is an Austrian Mm -hmm. director, makes a lot of French films. And this is a movie about a wealthy, affluent uh, Paris family who start receiving videotapes of surveillance of their property with no explanation, no notes, no nothing. And they uh, they try to figure out what's going on and descend into bourgeois madness from there. <laughs>
1: yes, very bourgeois madness.
0: So I have seen this film before. I told Chandler oh, to watch it. And this is... Uh, I'm curious. I'm very curious going into this discussion as to Chandler's opinion because he didn't have the, didn't love it, didn't necessarily like it the first time. The fir- I really liked first, it the first yeah. time. So we both have new opinions, maybe from our second viewings well, to share. Okay. Uh, yeah, the first time I watched it was like
1: two years ago. I remember Jacob picked it up. We took a trip to LA together, and he picked it up in Amoeba Records. And he was very excited to find this dingy old DVD copy of (laughs) Cache. A few weeks
0: later, I found a Blu-ray copy, so.
1: (laughs) And then, yeah, he forced it upon me shortly after saying, you need to watch this movie. And it took me a while to watch it. Um, It took me like a month or two to actually sit down and watch it. And when I did, I was bored to tears. I was just absolutely. I could barely stay awake. I gave it like a three out of five star, and I'm happy to say this time, I loved it. You loved because it because it's one of those. I did. Yeah, oh, it's one of those movies. It's one of those movies that I did think it was terribly, terribly boring the first time I saw it. But it's a movie that I think I thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. And going, I think it was because um, I've only seen three Hanukkah movies at this point. Coda known this and funny games and funny games is a movie that when i watched it i just found it very very interesting and i thought this is amazing this is one makes me want to give him another go because he has very similar um uh fascinations in his movies typically with violence and how that violence really affects people and funny games is a lot more stylish than his other movies but code unknown and cachet are both similar in the way that they portray their violence but I honestly think Cachet might be my favorite of his movies now. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. a, that's a big turnaround. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love his other movies just as much, but there's something about... I just want to say this. There's something about French movies. Their sound design is so good.
0: And in this movie in particular, it's, it's, it's so good. It's really subtle. Like, yeah. And that, that makes it seem pretentious almost. But it, it you really... Just watch like the opening shot of this film and the sound design for that just kind of eases you. It's quiet, quiet sound it's design, quiet, but it's busy captures the moment, mm-hmm. the reality. The because atmosphere. all it
1: is, the first like two minutes of this movie is just a static shot of this Parisian couple's house, apartment or whatever. And that shot is it's still it's nothing. And all you hear is like distant cars the echoey sounds of children playing.
0: There's a biker the that passes at one point.
1: Yeah, the bicycle that passes by. And I, the, I, I don't know. May, this is this is a movie that I think, for me, advocates that every movie deserves a second watch because you never know when you're just not in the mood. And I remember very distinctly when I saw this it was like 9 o'clock on a weekday and i just eaten dinner and worked out and I was really tired and I put this on. Horrible time. To put this on. This time I made sure of it. I made sure that I put it on at like 7 o'clock. Where I knew I had all the time to watch it. And I had headphones. So I could listen to it clearly. And um, yeah. It, I mean. it. I'm not saying this isn't a slow movie. But unlike First Cow. This is a very slow movie. But First Cow is a is a movie that is slow. But also pretty devoid. Of any narrative progression. This movie is slow. But there is. Constant there is an inc- narrative. Yes, progression. it is constant narrative progression, and there is a constant sense of unease that just builds with every scene. It never, it rarely explodes, but it's always there. It's a mystery that is not necessarily the focus. Well, I don't know how to describe it.
0: Yeah. So we're gonna be specific. This is a this is a movie that is important to remain spoiler free. So. I'm gonna clearly state when we move into spoilers. So we're not there yet. Yes. But this is one of those movies that I would I would give my left leg to see for the first time again. <laughs> because I have to say the the initial rush that I felt when watching it, the mm-hmm. kind of tense, butt-clenching eagerness to see what the the ending is and then getting to the ending. And then having that weird sense of release at the end is a unique feeling that I would really love to experience again. Experiencing this film for the first time is a treat. And it is either going to be boring as hell for (laughs) Chan, like it was for Chandler. And that's perfectly valid because it is, it's not your typical Hollywood film. Or you are going to latch on to the thriller aspects very specifically, which I did, and get very invested in what is going on. And the the experience, my first experience was so over the top wonderful that every subsequent experience, w- which this is my second viewing, wasn't as good. <laughs> okay. Not because I didn't like it as as much, just because it didn't have that kind of fresh edgy feeling to it yeah but it had other way other ways of engaging me it's a very intellectual film it is. demands your, your thinking
1: also a great uh, performance movie
0: which uh, starring uh, Juliette binoche one of the great juliet binoche french actresses uh the other guy daniel who's also great he's got a very interesting face
1: uh, as far as his face goes, I just want to say that it, they great casting as far as the child version of him.
0: Yes, that that's one of the best <laughs> child adult acting uh, casting. It, it, they yeah. look it's soul. I'm sold like that's. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, as a child. They don't even tell you that it's him as a child, but
1: you just see that child and you're like, OK, that's him. You get it. Mainly the nose. Yeah. And, you know, it's it is a movie kind of like Brighter Summer Day where it, it would be best to have some historical context going into it. Yeah. Not, you don't need as much as you do in a brighter summer day, but you need a a vague understanding of the um, Algerian sort of revolution from
0: France. The film's title is hidden (laughs) and you can be sure that the meaning, the themes, the characters, everything is hidden. Nothing is easy to access in this film there's two different stories going on at the same time uh there's a lot of stuff like this is a movie you can have theories about and unlike some movies where there's like there's a correct solution yeah uh haneke i think quite quite deliberately makes sure that there is no single solution possible to this uh Mm -hmm. this mystery which we'll get to theories theories yes it's the cinem- to, to explain it better to kind of give people the the idea of what it is. It's the cinematic equivalent of a Where's Waldo book. It yeah, <laughs> but you're not sure there's like a little disclaimer at the bottom that it says uh w- Waldo might not actually be in the frame. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're looking for Waldo and you're not exactly sure Waldo's even there. And yet somehow it is uh I think it is satisfying at the end on some level. I think so. Cachet is a really good lesson in how cinema doesn't need to give you closure. Yeah. Because it is there's a difference between a film not giving you closure in a bad way, and then there's cachet where the entire film is built to do that. Like it is consistent in its what it is trying to accomplish throughout its narrative. And the ending isn't coming out of nowhere. It's not something you don't expect. It is. Yeah. It, it is a narrative, thematic and character, character consistent film throughout. And the ending adds to that in a way that is unique from a lot of Hollywood films. And I think that that's, it's worth it just for that to experience something that you don't get in 99% yeah. of, of films.
1: It. Well, it's a movie that it, it doesn't give you any, clo- any like tangible closure, but it gives you the feeling that it, some,
0: the, it gives you a conclusive feeling without giving you closure, mm-hmm. which I think we almost talked it. We talked about Michael Hanukkah giving closure in Code Unknown and how the how he yeah. does it there. And this is even more yeah. subtle than that.
1: Well, yeah, because it's, you know, all, all of Hanukkah's movies are very clinical. Mm-hmm. They're 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 some of the most realistic movies I think I've ever seen because they feel very documentary-like in the way that the people speak and the way that the people act and the way that the, the tension escalates in that it it feels very logical. Every character would do exactly what a character would do in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the ca- camera work, it's very still. It's it v- wide lenses that capture every little nook and cranny of every building that they're inside of. Often um, long takes. Lots of long takes, but it, it's... It, Again, it's one of those movies that, just like *Code Known, where I'm like, on paper, this movie would be boring because it's very restrained filmmaking, very naturalistic and inconclusive conflicts, but he keeps you interested because there's not a wasted moment in his movies, I feel. Especially in this one. Mm -hmm. Every scene, every character, every line of dialogue is... It, it has to do with the mystery at hand and you can see the ripple effects of the way this mystery is affecting all these different people. But then it, unlike code unknown it has that added element of mystery at the end where there's a lot of specific events that will pull you in certain directions as far as a, a conclusion is reached. But like you said, it never really gives you enough to definitively definitively say what happened And I'll admit, the first time around, um, I didn't really understand what was happening in the final shot. And this time, I did notice what was happening, but I didn't know the implications of what that meant. So I had to read a bunch of theories afterwards. And it is interesting, because... I've read a bunch of different theories that all are all different, but they all have a good amount of proof to tell you exactly what was happening. And I'll admit my interpretation of the movie was the lamest one. <laughs> Interesting.
0: I think we're gonna move into spoilers, but this yes, it goes without saying. Cachet I think is it is an important, unique film. I don't yes. know of anything that is quite like it. Yes, in I that agree. in that sense, it's it's very. If you like movies, if you like, if you're okay with slower paced films, this is a must see film.
1: But this isn't like first cow where it's slow to the point of boring. I don't know. If 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 you get on with the
0: general premise, it's a very, it's a slow, but it's an interesting movie. If you're in the mood, make sure you're in yeah. the mood. You're not just throwing it on just because your friend recommended it to you and you need to watch it at some point. I agree. It's a good movie. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, spoiler spoilers, territory. Theory um, time. What? One so happened at the end. yeah, so at the end, you're not really sure who is sending the tapes. It's never the central narrative question has not been answered. I would argue the central thematic questions have been thoroughly explored. But uh, answering the question of what actually happened, what do you think? I still think it's the dad. Majid.
1: Yeah. So m- my boring ass interpretation of it <coughs> was it was Majid his son confronted the French father because he was upset about it. And because the French father would, uh, wouldn't would budge, he confronted the French father's son. I read a bunch of theories that there was implication in the body language that the son and the, the two sons knew each other, but I never got that sense from the final shot that they were familiar outside of the, the, them being brought together by this event. I didn't I didn't get from that final shot in their body language that they were in cahoots with each other, and I don't understand the motivation for why the French son would participate. I got the sense that he was upset at their mother for uh, being a little too friendly with Pierre, um, but I never got the sense that he would go this far because of that. But I can see why somebody would think that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. So there on the DV Blu-ray that I have, there's an interview with Hanukkah about the film, which is very interesting to watch. And he's an interesting guy. He's one of those directors that is very interesting and seems very like warm and personable. (coughs) Uh, But then you watch his movies and it's nothing like that.
1: (laughs) Like David Lynch. Well, kind of.
0: I specifically wrote down that Hanukkah says that he wrote dialogue for the two of them. So when they're talking together, they're not just saying random stuff. They're saying actual lines that Hanukkah wrote. Yeah. And he says in the interview, he says that with just this wonderful big grin on his face. and like, I'm never going to tell anyone. He's like, so happy about it. He's like, Oh, there's an answer. There's, there's more information you could have. You're never going to get it. Oh,
1: I feel he's lying. He's telling you that so you'll look closer, but he's got nothing there. There's
0: usually David something David Lynch did the
1: same thing, where David Lynch went on record saying that he has never read a single theory that has correctly interpreted Eraserhead. But I don't believe that's true. Well, <laughs> also at the same time, this is the guy who dissects animals for fun, so maybe he has some fucked up other interpretation. But continue.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of different theories you can have about the film. You can have a theory about, like, who's sending the tapes. Yeah. Or your theory could focus more on, like, the meta-narrative of the film. And I've, I've seen, since coming up with this theory, I had this idea when I first watched it, and I've slowly been thinking about it, and it's kind of my personal thing, although I've seen other people Have uh, explained this online too. That the there is no one sending the tapes. No one is at fault. It is in in a sense, Hanaki himself is the one sending the tapes. That this is a version of reality where. Here's the thing: the camera angles for filming specifically the one outside of their house george walks by it so close it's almost too hard to believe that he wouldn't notice it it is also like in the middle of the sidewalk 10 feet above the ground in a place that doesn't make sense to be yeah
1: they also give you that shot halfway through the movie where you can see the outside street and you're thinking to yourself where would you even hide a camera Right. A a camera that would be able to run for that long, that would very clearly need to be connected to some sort of outside
0: power source to run that long. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the only type of person who doesn't notice a camera is clearly an actor who is told not to notice cameras. So it is a it is a my theory is that it is the world of cachet is our world but michael haneke is like interrogating these characters in our world in a way that produces this plot and is following them they are both actors and actual people at the same time
1: so jacob's theory is that cachet is a movie
0: but almost like, almost like they are people that are living inside of a movie and don't know it. Almost like the Twin Peaks theory that it. we've talked about. <laughs> um, but I think there is something to, to be said that okay, it, it is specifically made so that you can't answer it, which leads to that theory which doesn't necessarily make it true because it's just purposely created to be unsolvable and unsolvable means the director must have had some hand in it, which doesn't mean, you know, with,
1: with, I want to say that that is just far fetched and crazy, but uh, I don't know. He, he funny games proves that he, he is at least somewhat interested in that level, level of meta storytelling so i'm not completely unconvinced because my boring ass theory also doesn't i do i do like the the idea that the only way that the tapes would be able to get inside the apartment is through the french Sun and that's not really something i'm willing to admit so that is an interesting theory but if that is the theory that's that's not as interesting
0: but it is i think it's very interesting um (laughs) It, what was interesting is in the very beginning of the the making of documentary that I only watched the first minute of, or so of. Yeah, uh, one is you can see the the either the camera person or the assistant director they're filming the opening shot of the film, and it, one of them is is uh, has a stopwatch and is timing the thing and just looks up and is like is, are we really going this long like that's the kind of look that he, he's giving the camera God. which is just fun to see but there's this weird thing that in the making of documentary it shows Michael Haneke it cuts from sh- them filming that shot to a shot of him walking up the the street in the same angle yeah. and stopping in front of the door and it zooms in on his face in this kind of like caught you kind of moment and i think it's just like the the documentary filmmakers kind of oh look who we found it's the director i don't think it has any meaning whatsoever but like oh this this feeds into my theory oh no, the director is leaving all these fucking tapes but no so it's the film is about the act of looking and the act of being looked at and how that affects someone's psychology of like what they do yeah what do you do when someone's just looking at you what do you have to hide yeah doesn't they don't there's no specific reason they're looking at you or is there what are you what are you hiding it's like big brothers watching you except it's more of like this kind of existential nightmare
1: well see i never got the sense that they were hiding anything i just got the sense they were uncomfortable being watched
0: right and that elicited from George, George this yeah. kind of repressed memories and stuff. Eventually. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It did because, you know, it's the only place his mind could go to. Because when you have something that weird and it's such a such a strong violation of your privacy, you have to like wonder, okay, who would be low enough to do this? And then you have to pour through your own history to find somebody that would hate you this much, and that much is interesting um those those are the things that i you know i found infinitely more interesting the second time around it's just cuz it's not really about the mystery it's about how the mystery affects people
0: right also
1: like twin peaks so
0: yeah oh yeah now that i'm i'm thinking about that that is it is true two directors who made something that is so unconcerned <laughs> with solving the mystery that they present yeah it's true and it is it is really an interesting psychological film Because it is yeah. Constantly focusing on character And how everyone is reacting differently To the situation mm-hmm. And from a certain point of view It's really well paced uh, It is Surprisingly it bu- so It builds up in, in what it is talking about Because it's about Halfway through I want to say that you, start, you, that you meet Majid, Majid And you yeah. learn about the the massacre that happened in Paris. And until then, it's like the, the, the stakes and the framing of the conflict keeps getting bigger because it starts out with a personal conflict and then it's their marriage is in conflict. Yeah. And then their friends are brought into it, their family, and then their work. And it just slowly gets bigger and bigger with every tape that, that they receive. And it's, it's building Mm -hmm. up correctly. It's a correct progression of stakes in this kind of very slow, methodical way, because after one of the tapes is sent, then it's the film takes its time kind of exploring the character ramifications of this next step in the, the journey.
1: And also, you know, aside from that, um, the, the mystery itself, it, it's a very compelling idea because it's mm-hmm. one of those yes. things, unlike something like Laurel Palmer being murdered, there's, it's technically harmless. There's no there's no insidious implications of these tapes. There's no hint of blackmail. It's just a very uneasy feeling that begins to unravel these people. It it's if you were to sell it alone on that concept, I could see people being interested in it. Um it's where it goes from there where a lot of people will be lost. But it is enough to grab you from the mystery alone it's just whether or not you feel comfortable with the way they deconstruct this mystery that's going to be whether or not you like it or not. but i do enjoy the way they do it and uh,
0: the film has a lot to say about you know like guilt societal guilt the things that we keep mm-hmm. repressed and all that and it's interesting like there's a lot to think about here and i think it's one of those movies that gives you endless endless things to think about just why mm-hmm. i think it's really good is that you can always you can watch it and you come out with something a little different every time. And it's yep. all it's all correct cuz there's no actual answer to the the must, the, the puzzle mm-hmm. box. Mm-hmm. Hear that JJ Abrams? It's a puzzle box done correctly, <laughs> a mystery box. Hack fraud. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed. Uh so yeah, do, do you think it deserves to be on the BFI list? I do.
1: But, I do too. I do too.
0: It, if not for its uniqueness, what it is trying to do, how it is kind of subverting, correctly subverting, uh, normal narrative closure in a way that is satisfying and interesting. It,
1: it's one of it's one of those rare films that it's a giant experiment and it works really well. Mm-hmm. And I think those kind of efforts have to be recognized. So there you go it is on the list too. So uniqueness
0: and quality in being unique is something that you should reward. And that's why it should be here.
1: And I feel like it's one of those movies that's just going to get better with time. Once more people realize that there's more to it, once more people like me who were bored as hell and gave it a second watch. So if you have seen it and you are bored, give it another, give it another chance. I think it's really interesting. It's probably my favorite Hanukkah. So for what that's worth.
0: It's worth quite a bit, to me at It least. should it should it should be a criterion. That's all I'm going to say. It, it should have a more widely uh, available release.
1: Is your the Blu-ray that you have? Is it region free? I think it is. It it is it region A? It
0: is something that looks like a European region B movie, but isn't. Oh, interesting. At least I think. Uh, just so you can see it. It's this. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So it has yeah, it the does look like region B, the little the fifteen, the weird ratings that Europe forces them Europe. to put on the the Blu-rays, which is just it's a pretty disgusting. tame movie. Like, why would you do that? You know, for the continent that birthed cinema, they have terrible <laughs> Blu-rays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. Also, that cover's terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just a pretty pretty standard cover.
1: Well, the, you know, the, the, the cover you have, the DVD, that's great. Just the blood bloodstain.
0: Mm-hmm. That's one of the most shocking moments in, in film.
1: It is. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the thing is that it's a pretty tame movie aside from that one scene that is just
0: brutal. <laughs> one moment. And it it's it leaves an impact on you and the characters.
1: The first time I saw it, I think one of those things that, you know, he does it and I'm just like, oh, well, you would really go see a movie afterwards. But then this time around, I think I would do that. <laughs> just try to get it out of my mind.
0: Roger Ebert mentioned this, and I also found this on my first viewing. Very interesting. But there's a shot around 20 minutes in that I think is very. Interesting when related to how you analyze the film. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to say what it is. Describe it. Uh, so people don't have to actually watch the film. Um, but I will not comment on it other than that. And it is the shot starts out similar, not exactly, but similar to the the outside surveillance shots that they've been getting, yeah, and it's a stable frame. Mm-hmm. And then Georges and Pierrot, their son come out of the house and they get into their car, and the camera goes from this static shot into a more subjective handheld camera angle and follows them. So hmm. interesting shot. It's the only time in the film that a, a shot does that specific move from a static frame to a handheld yeah. camera
1: movement. I think it's interesting. Uh, Roger Ebert, you know, his first review was great. Then he gave uh, it one of his, those great movies reviews. Mm. Um, and then he he has like an article just on his theories, which interests me because I'm like, I wonder how many times he watched this.
0: <laughs> oh, I haven't read that article on his theories, so I will have to check it out. It's
1: good. That's 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 where I got most of my theories, and that he he references specific features of his DVD. I'm like, good lord, he. Probably- I feel like Roger Ebert locked himself in a room with this DVD copy of Cachet and just compiled notes frame by frame.
0: <laughs> Good stuff, Go Roger. Another French film that we've approved of.
1: Yeah, they're getting better. <laughs> Although he's Austrian, so it's kind of cheating. Yeah,
0: well, bit of a, a cultural exchange going on there.
1: He's very critical of the French.
0: All right, what's next, Lord I of guess the Rings, Return of the King? <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm that's like fine with me. Uh, maybe we just
1: skip. Well, do you want to do another BFI movie, or do you just want to re- discuss the entirety of the Lord of the Rings?
0: Mm, that might be. Too that's much. a pretty
1: thick conversation. Mm. Unless you just want to specifically focus on Return of the King,
0: mm, no. Which I do. No. We can do both. I don't know. I'll watch both, and we can decide what to do. So we can talk about uh, Chinatown or Seventh Seal.
1: No, we got to do Chinatown Inherent Vice.
0: Okay, so Seventh seven Seal, I guess. Seventh Seal. Do we want to? I think it might be coming up in my box. All right, so we'll, we'll talk about Seventh Seal and then some Lord of the Rings.
1: Vaguely Lord of the Rings. Maybe
0: maybe Return of the King?
1: Maybe all of them. Who knows? Who knows? We'll Including see. Including the Ralph you, Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> I might watch that, too. Have you ever seen it? I have. (coughs) It's been a while, and I don't think I finished it. Did he
1: do The Hobbit, too, or is that somebody else who did the animated Hobbit? I'm pretty sure that's somebody else.
0: Rankin Bass.
1: No, Rankin Bass did the the Christmas stop motion.
0: No, they did The Hobbit.
1: Well, they also did the Christmas stop motion.
0: Yep, they did The Hobbit, 1977. Have I? I've told you to watch that before, I haven't.
1: I do not want to watch it. <laughs> Come
0: on. <laughs> it remains my favorite adaptation of The Hobbit.
1: Well, I mean, the bar is not set that high.
0: No, but it, it's fun. It's kind of charming in its
1: 70s way. Hey, hey, it's, hey. I'm reading Dune and I'm watching an entire anime series. We can put this on the bottom of the list. This is true, although it is very short. that That's why I was... Uh, I was surprised when you watched real life the same day, but I'm also at the same time. I'm like, I'm watching like fucking 50 hours of anime and reading an entire book on his recommendation. He can watch one 90 minute movie.